I'm Enda McNulty. Welcome to the Rise podcast series. For the last 25 years, I've met the best guys and girls around the world in regard to resilience, well-being, and leadership. I've been educated by them, coached by them, inspired by them, and certainly I've learned a huge amount by spending time with them. In this podcast series, you're going to get a download from those people. I hope you get educated. I hope you get motivated. I hope you get inspired. And yes, I hope you get activated to doing things differently in terms of your resilience, your well-being, and your leadership through adversity. Now more than ever, we as leaders in our own homes, in our own communities, in our teams, in our organizations, in our global companies, or in our small companies, we need to be more resilient, we need to become better leaders, and we need to rise higher. Well, I'm extremely excited on this episode of the Rise Higher podcast. I've got a good friend of mine, one of the board members of McNulty, a gentleman of the name of Martin Bailey. Martin Bailey's had an incredibly eclectic portfolio of career. He started off working in Tesco as a student. He ended up then working in Lidl in Ireland. He grew the whole way and developed the whole way to COO of Lidl Ireland. He then got a role as COO of Lidl in the UK. He then got a role in a senior context in Primark across Europe. And latter days, he has landed a role, believe it or not, as the CEO of Tesco Tata in Mumbai, uh, trading as Star Retail. He's a phenomenal man. He's from Donaghadee in Northern Ireland. And yes, it's great to have a fellow Northern Irish gentleman on the Rise Higher podcast. Martin, you're most welcome. Oh, no, thank you very much, Endeavour. Looking forward to this conversation. And thank you very much for very kind words as well. But yes, I'm a county down man from Donaghadee. I'm so proud of it. We've got a down man and our man, man. Uh, but, but a down man living in Mumbai, not that typical to have a down man living in the middle of Mumbai. No, that's true. That's very true. I think I'm probably the only one. You know, I mean, Mumbai uh, is a, just a fascinating city. Uh, it's a, uh, as you said, eclectic is a great word for it as well. The diversity that you have in Mumbai, 26 million people plus. Uh, it's a city that is the uh, commercial capital of India. So obviously there is rich, but there's also not necessarily the spread of the wealth as well, as we already know. Uh, Slumdog Millionaire is where that came <laughs> from as well. So even just to see that chalk and cheese and how that works, uh, back to the word fascinating. Uh, it's a city still with a lot of tolerance, even though it is so, so diverse. Uh, and from my side, it's just been a breathtaking experience. However, uh, when I joined and when I started that journey, and we'll talk about it later on, no doubt, I, it wasn't necessarily in my first 100 days COVID, uh, but we'll talk about that a wee bit later on. But yeah, Mumbai itself, and even India is a fascinating uh, country, but I've not been able to do the full traveling of India. Martin, it's a fascinating journey. Every time I met you at a Leinster game with your beautiful little boys, yeah. I'd always be reminded of, you'd be saying the next day I'm flying out, I'm going to Madrid or... I'm flying out, I'm going to New York City, or I'm going to Boston, or I'm going into India. Yeah. And I was always fascinated about how you, as a young father, were able to raise your beautiful boys and obviously spend a lot of time, quality time with Lindsay, your wife, as well as develop in terms of your corporate career. How have you managed to do that? 
Look, it, look it, it, at the end of the day, you need to have a solid foundation. And I'm extremely blessed uh, when it comes to Lindsay, my wife, and my three boys. Um, but that probably even goes back a wee bit further into my, my immediate family in the north and how I was brought up as well. The, the, the family aspect, the values that were that coming from the north the, that, that we had, the resilience that we had or had to have probably <laughs> is probably a better way, has always is, is put me in good stead in terms of my thoughts, my feet on the ground. Uh, I do my best. Uh, by everyone, uh, including myself, which is important as well. Um, but I would say it's never been easy and you do need to have that support. And when we talk about um, having what you believe is your palace, your castle, you need to have that moat around it as well. And we've had this conversation over the years in terms of protecting that and making sure that uh, everything is uh, the way it should be because the, that castle, that, that, that uh, palace, is who you are at your core uh, and as i said i'm blessed to have that support but also it even as a young age and when i first met Lindsay, we literally nine months in later we i take her to germany as part of my legal career uh, lived in a different country a different language a different culture um and it was still to this day we'll talk about our best life experience apart from the kids of course and and that's the type of thing i would want for my kids to open up and you know, i mean the original plan for us to, was to go to india but covid has obviously put a, a stall on that at this moment in time but even that opening horizons at the age of 17 sitting in the bottom of my bed and telling my dad if i get my results i'm gone <laughs> i always had that that feeling was of your A-level results, was it? no that was yeah it was the a level results. Yeah. so so i ended up going to edinburgh uni our university in edinburgh sorry um, but I still remember that that desire to look for something different. At the end of the day, if you're in an environment and you're thriving, but if you're in an environment and you're not thriving, then change the environment. So I've always had that kind of curiosity about me, <clears throat> which is probably ultimately why flying to New York or flying to Madrid or flying to India uh, doesn't stop us. But the most important thing is it has to be right for us as a family. As a young uh, couple, it was easy to do. We, we lived in six different countries over the kind of 15 years or little. Uh, but when you get family, etc., there's a, a different scenario, obviously. Now we've got three kids, Finley at 13, uh, going on 33, size 10. Honestly, he's twice the size. I mean, it's ridiculous. He will be an Ireland rugby player. It's up to him what he chooses in terms of Lulster. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, then I've got Ollie at 10 and I've got the wee man Riley at five. So Riley's the only dub and that probably explains my, my career. So Finley is Scottish, uh, Lindsay is Scottish, uh, Oliver, <laughs> Oliver is English, uh, Riley's the only dub and I'm obviously the, the black sheep in the north. <laughs> so, so multinational, multicultural. Indeed, absolutely. If, it, if it's okay, Martin, if you don't mind, can you bring me back to Northern Ireland? Yep. Can you bring me back to Northern Ireland and your upbringing and how much you believe that's forged you as a leader, as a man? And if it's all right to ask you a little bit about the troubles and how you think that shaped and forged your character. So obviously I'm a proud Ulsterman, first of all. So you are a product of your environment. And, and I think that's an okay thing to say. Um, I know that can be uh, troublesome because you've just mentioned the troubles. So obviously the troubles were 1968 to 1990, so 30 years. And I mean, I, I'm, I was born in 75. So I was a young generation growing up in the troubles. So I wasn't maybe the generation before me, or even my older brothers that were probably in a different kettle of fish. But I still I still remember uh, a lot of the trauma that you saw daily on the news, but it didn't affect us uh, because it, there was no direct uh, impact. But actually, in the, and I still remember this on the 5th, 5th of July, 1993, um, 
I was living in Newton Ards. So obviously I come from Donacadee. Newton Ards is a, a town, a bigger town that's maybe only seven kilometers away from, uh, from uh, Newton Ards. And that's where the family was based. Um, um, and it, I remember playing football uh, in Bangor, another neighboring town. And I remember this huge bomb go off. And we didn't know it was a bomb at the time, but it was a massive noise, seven kilometers away. Uh, and Sadly, when we returned to uh, uh, Newton Arts, um, it, we came to the devastation that it was the largest car bomb in the history of the Troubles. 700 kilograms of explosives that went uh, was detonated in the middle of our town. Um, it was detonated outside a family friend's pub. Um, still friends with Nick and Gavin, who are the sons of the owner of the pub, Romus. And it was just, a, it, now at the age of 17, so I was 17 at the time, uh, that was the first time I was directly impacted. Um, I think the whole of the nation, and you would agree with me, we've all been indirectly impacted because of, you hear the news, you see what's happening, there's a friend of a friend, but this is the first time it was really close to home. I also had my best friend in the gym, no more than 300 meters down the road, and he uh, had facial um, uh, glass in his eyes because the bomb was so big that the uh, the tire, one of the tires went over the town hall. The town hall is at least about 40 meters high and it landed, bounced and went straight through the window of the gym. So this was the first time I was directly impacted. Uh, and that level of trauma, most importantly for, uh, the, thankfully, nobody was uh, majorly hurt in the incident, so in the bomb. But that was the first time I kind of came close to home. Maybe a reason why I sat at the end of the bed with my dad a wee bit later on and said, if I'm going, I'm going. If I get the results, I'm going. But that definitely has an impact on your life as a young boy. I went to a school in Belfast as well. So I mucked about up in Belfast. And you I mean, you get asked these questions, where are you from? I was just making things up where I was from. I was never going to tell them where I was from because you knew what was going to happen. So there was that going on as well. However, um, I will say it was still the uh, best upbringing for me and my th um, three siblings, because uh, there was still a, an essence of community that you would expect in the North. When you talk about troubles, then people look after each other. And we had a phenomenal community and that's not, uh, that's not tinted glasses either. Uh, my dad brought us up uh, on his own. So there was four kids and my dad, um, huge respect for him in terms of doing that, especially now being a father, I would find it extremely difficult to do that. But if you think about it, that was you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and the way he dealt with it, how he brought uh, a work ethic that I've never seen before, and I hope that I emulate that work ethic, the way he brought family values, and he was the galvanizer for all of us. So three out of four of us went and to university. Uh, one stayed in, in Northern Ireland and the other two, myself included, then we kind of went traveling and the two of us are still traveling. Um, so from that side, I, I think probably when you look at um, Northern Ireland, the troubles, it did definitely have an impact on us directly at the age of 17, but indirectly as a nation. I think we're quite hardy. I think we are quite resilient in terms of dusting ourselves and going on with it. It was a small minority compared to the majority of how people felt. And I do firmly believe that family community that we had, um, certainly when I was growing up and hugely impacted by my father, uh, I think it's put me in great stead, not just good stead, but great stead. 
uh, and I hopefully emulate that to, to my kids and I also to the nieces and nephews who I've got. My dad, he passed away a few years ago now, uh, rest his soul, but uh, he literally had his football team in one sub before he left out of all the kids and the grandkids. So uh, it, we, we all look after each other when times are tough. But if I can be honest with you, I know you mentioned the troubles, but even living in Germany, uh, they obviously have a, a, a history there that defines them. Even in India, the resilience that they have and even the years uh, of, of, of conflict, the years of you know, I mean, wealth uh, impact as well. And as I said before, there is, there is such a, a hot and cold in terms of these big cities with slums and five-star hotels, etc. So a lot of hardship is in these nations. And I've been very lucky to see it. I've been very lucky to embrace that type of culture. It has definitely broadened my horizons and I would want the same for my kids as well. So moving to India was going to be a challenge for us, of course, but we were well up for it as well. But COVID obviously threw a spanner in the works at this moment in time. I like the way you moved from Donna Hadid to Mumbai in one sentence. There's some man, Mr. Billy. Uh, one more question about your father. Before we leave uh, Northern Ireland, if it's okay, yeah. your father was a milkman. He was, yeah. And I'm fascinated about... What you learned, that work ethic you mentioned with your dad, yeah. uh, you know, what he taught, those life lessons he taught you as, as a young man. I'm fascinated about that, you know, that upbringing and yeah. that raising and how important it is for you as a leader now. I, I draw a lot of energy from my memories of my dad. Um, he, uh, he took on a challenge. Uh, which was not an easy challenge. It wasn't a normal challenge, really. Normally uh, speaking, uh, my mom and dad split. So normally in those days you would go to mom, but obviously we, we stayed with dad. Um, so even just that resilience to be a single parent, as you said, he was a milkman. So he, he, he left at midnight and he would come back the next morning. He'd sleep through the day. Uh, I remember only a handful of uh, family holidays with him because he worked so hard for all of us. Um, uh, I, I did have uh, holidays, but it was normally with other families, etc. It was no different to my, my siblings as well. So he put uh, and provided not just food on the table. But we had a great life, if I can be fair. Um, he showed us uh, what education meant to us. And I, I, I speak later on about the importance of education, even in particularly in India and how they, they value that as well. But he put me through private schooling um, uh, as the youngest sibling. Um, and he'd done that literally, and now don't get me wrong, he, 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 uh, he was blessed with Carol, which is his wife at the, uh, near the end of his life. Um, but we've, we've obviously been blessed with a number of mothers that I would say as well. But definitely my father figure brought uh, an element of uh, importance of hardworking, dedication. Um, he had me working on his milk round at the age of 12. Uh, he had me doing night shifts uh, in one of the factories on Tetra Pak uh, <laughs> at the age of 16. He, he, he didn't drill it into me, but he gave me an understanding of the importance of the value of money, the importance of the value of family, and the importance of looking after both of those things. So I think from that side, when you now talk about a business leader, you now talk about um, looking after uh, people, in particular in COVID, um, you now talk about the importance of empathy, the importance of resilience, the importance of looking after yourself because you can look after others after that. Um, I think it all came, I think probably subliminally because I wouldn't have been mature enough to know that at the time. But as you become a father, a leader, a director, a, a business leader, um, then you realize these life lessons have learned you that. And actually when you go through I do a lot of reading. I, I, I obviously uh, like to educate myself, as you should do, because, again, you should never stand, stand still in that growth mindset. And I think 
even that move to uh, Edinburgh, the move from Edinburgh to, to Dresden in East Germany. Then I bounced around <clears throat> um, some of Europe with Croatia, um, Poland, uh, then UK, Ireland, back to UK, now Mumbai. I think that I've probably been able to take uh, what, what is my best foot forward, what is my purpose, which is something is important to any uh, young leader and indeed mature leader. And I think to galvanize that or to always cast my mind back when I reflect, it does normally reflect to when I was younger. And that's why I put the emphasis so importantly on how amazing Lindsay is and my boys are, uh, and obviously the importance of family to me because your family is your family, but in business, that's also a family as well. And in COVID times in the last 18 months, we've had to be uh, so considerate. We had to show humility that we've never seen before. We've had to show co collaboration we've never seen before. And all of those things I just mentioned about well, how we reacted from the bomb in Newtonards, how we as a family and a community, and it was not even just the immediate, it was the neighbours. We had neighbours that opened door, like we don't do open doors anymore, <laughs> but we had open door and we would, all the kids would be in and around. I would be getting fed in this one, I'd be getting bathed in the next one. You know, I mean, that's how, we, that's how we worked and that's the type of, um, and I say it with a lot of smile and a lot of pride, of course, but that type of thing gives you a bit of a DNA of who you become. And you've still a lot of learnings, a lot of finesse and a lot of refinement. But that type of thing uh, does give you the foundations to be successful. But the word successful is different to every person. For me, it's that family orientation. It's ensure that they're safe and they're sound, they're healthy. I love what I do. I love managing people. Uh, I love retail uh, because that consumer uh, is just a, it's a, an enigma most of the time and trying to figure out what he or she wants or they want. But actually the new COVID times have flipped that on its head. So that actually excited me even more. Never mind the fact that I'm in a different continent, uh, in a different country, in a different culture with a different customer that's just changed their mind and how they want to shop. All of those things had to play in. But definitely where you came from, uh, you should never forget. And it definitely puts you in great stead for your future. 100%. And I love the way in the middle of that you list in empathy and resilience and, of course, care and compassion for people. Martin, I'm going to now bring you into the essence of the Rise Higher podcast is leadership and resilience and well-being in the midst of crisis and how people can rise higher. So can I ask you about how important do you think uh, or what do you think the most important attributes in a crisis are from a leadership point of view? What, what would you say in a crisis, whether that's in Mumbai or whether that's in Northern Ireland, what, what are the most important attributes of a leader in a crisis? So first of all, it is a global crisis. So uh, what we refer to, I think, is going to be applicable to everybody right now. And we've spoken in great lengths, obviously before the podcast, about uh, leaders are leaders in business. It's also leaders on a field. It's also leaders at home. It's also kids that want to grow up and become leaders, et cetera, and how they want to take leadership of their own, their, their own kind of path. And I know my kids are not at that stage to be uh, educated uh, enough about that, but I plant seeds the whole way through. So I would say no matter where you are, what type of leader you are, it's all about humility and empathy. Why? Because you certainly in this day and age, you don't understand fully 
what the other person is thinking, especially now maybe this remote, remote working, you're not in close contact anymore with them. So being able to read people, being able to uh, understand what they're going through, the pressures of working from home is extreme. The pressures of working through a crisis is extreme. But humility and empathy would probably be in the top two words when you say, Martin, what would be the leadership traits but actually it is on steroids is, the, is what I would say that you need to have that sensitivity. You need to put yourself in another person's shoes at all times. And that's with great communication. So when you see people not on the screen and not putting themselves on the screen often, uh, then normally you might have to reach out to them. So I would say humility and empathy. Uh, candor is an important one. And for me, candor is honestly without ambiguity. When you're in a crisis and you're talking about a uh, path to safety, uh, and I mean safety of your, your nation, your colleagues, your, your customers, the people you love, um, ambiguity doesn't help. So you need complete clarity in how you lead. And as a leader, being candid um, for me is about the trust factor and ensuring that that clarity goes from top to bottom, bottom back to top. And that's uh, probably one of my biggest learnings, especially in India as a new leader uh, in a new culture. Um, I think that's probably one of my biggest things, being candid. And consistency as well, because the, the important thing of consistency means that you bring a trust factor. You do what you say, which is important in a, 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 a crisis. And it has to be fact-based in terms of your communications, because in particular in India, but it's also, I've seen it even in, in, in Dublin and indeed the UK, you can get fake news, you can get wrong news, you can get news that it takes you in the wrong direction. And when you're referring to the, the, um, the safety and security of your people, your colleagues, your customers, you can't have ambiguity, you need consistency and you need fact-based. So I would say that consistency and that message is important, but with the fact and then, tell me, Martin, you mentioned humility there and you mentioned, of course, that sense of, you know, uh, candor. Yeah. Give me practically there, you know, you're dealing with multiple cultures in, in Mumbai alone, never mind the people that come from a more agricultural background in Mumbai and the farmers that you were dealing with directly. Yeah. So practically, how did you show humility and candor to people that yet couldn't speak their language? Yeah. And maybe you had to work through an interpreter. So practically, how do we do that? Because our listeners, I think, will really be inspired by your words. But also, how do you do that practically with a culture that you don't know an awful lot about? So first of all, you need to understand uh, your colleagues. You need to understand that uh, uh, diversity. Um, empathy is that understanding that I referred to. Putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. When you've got 1.4 billion shoes uh, times two, obviously pairs of shoes, and then obviously that does bring a huge challenge. And when you bring in uh, different languages, there is officially over 200 uh, Indian languages, but there's so how probably- How do you get your head around that? Over 200 official languages. So obviously I haven't got any aspect of those languages. I'm sure you haven't got too much. No, not yet, no. So how do you possibly build rapport, have that sense of humility and that connection with somebody 
that you can't speak their language. So I, I, th- I think I think when you refer to humility and empathy, you you need to not only uh, understand uh, where somebody else is coming from and be in their shoes. You have to physically work side by side. And one of those big things from Ireland, you talk about the green jersey, shoulder to shoulder. If you go to Mumbai and you speak to any of my guys, they'll probably tell you shoulder to shoulder in various different languages because that's that's what we have to do. That resilience factor, that getting into the trenches. Because as a food retailer, we were we were tasked to keep that nation fed. And we did not stop the whole way through the entire lockdown. We were open every single day of lockdown. You never closed one not day. Not one day. And we had, we had, uh, we took, and I stood, uh, personally stood tall uh, on this purpose. And we galvanized. And it's no different to a lot of food retailers uh, in other uh, other uh, countries. So just to be clear on that. In Mumbai, but, but in Mumbai, it's a little bit more difficult because of the extreme nature of COVID. And even at in today yeah so again that perfect example that you've just mentioned it wasn't just the impact of feeding the nation and the challenge of our team it was actually the supply chain that was broken because what COVID done to any business was stuck a big massive magnifying glass and just picked on your weaknesses and straight away if you can have that transparency then that gives you an opportunity to fix it be more robust and that supply chain then you spoke about farmers earlier on it's not about just feeding the nation and our customers and our colleagues. You have to go upstream to actually get the food in the first place. How do you do that? So you mentioned the supply chain. You, you, you phoned me from Mumbai way back at the start of lockdown. Yeah, yeah. And you said that your supply chain had completely broken. broken yeah, yeah. And you had to get out and really go directly to the farmers. Yeah, yeah. So talk us through what, what did you do there? And that's, if we're talking about resilience, yeah. that's a real life story of resilience. Yeah, resilience, but also humility and empathy because they had product that was perfectly uh, viable, perfectly edible, and would be the quality that you want, but they couldn't get it to market because all this, as I said, all the transport were broken down, movement of stock was also difficult as well. So you had a a nation of farmers that were potentially sitting on a a landmine of of, of product that would eventually go off. So we needed to go to them. So we improved our supply chain and direct sources, we call it. Um, from around 70% to it to nearly 93% of the time, because we realized that the uh, importance of feeding the nation had to come from the healthy products, which is your farmers. And we had to then literally go to them. And that was no different to um, some of the big suppliers, Unilever, people have heard of that before, Procter & Gamble, they've heard of that before. If you spoke to them right now, they would say that Star were came to the to rescue because we went to them because their factories are closed, their uh, 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 DCs were closed, and we had to go get the stock. So literally we so made a, a decision. We're going- the, a man from Donaghy was going directly to the farmers to help the likes of the Unilevers yeah. in terms of understanding their supply chain more. But even on that fact alone, it is purely down to purpose, the resilience factor of your purpose. So what 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 is purpose to an individual is no different to purpose of, of a, an organization. It is the gifts that you have, it is the passions you have, and it's the values that you obtain. When you have them lined up, that is ultimately your purpose. So we talk about feeding the nation. Go get the stock if you have to get the stock. Get in the trenches if you have to get, go. Go get your gloves on, Martin, and walk the walk the shop floor with the team. Go to the DCs and make sure that they understand that you're leading from the front. And that's how I dealt with that. Now, I, I not ironically, statistically, it was going to be the case, but I also got COVID back in September of last year because there was that element of well, actually, if if I'm asking somebody to do it. I also need to do it myself. So I, I, I would say the old shoulder to shoulder uh, passion came out and we were on the shop floor together. And I will never forget 
And I will always praise the team that done it with me because they were going through the same hardship, the same uh, insecurities, because they had no idea what COVID was back in March of last year. And yet they did do it. They done it with me. And I was a new leader. I was a foreign leader for the first time as well. And I am blessed to have the Tata organization support me, the Tesco organization support me, and the team with me literally galvanized and away we went and we charged through along with other retailers as well it wasn't just a, a one-man show by any means we've done it together and how did you you mentioned about you know an overseas leader how did you gain their trust early and in a crisis and in the middle of this you had COVID because you actually called me in the middle of this you were shivering uh, you had to stay in your apartment you had to lead your people through zoom yeah, yeah. and yet you hadn't had even time to build a trust so how do you lead the, the entire organization in that context? So um, I, uh, over the years, uh, uh, I'm a great problem solver. Always have been. I've always enjoyed that as well. So this COVID was a problem. It was a, a challenge for us all. And we need to get, to, uh, to get together. So when you talk about um, the purpose that brought me energy. But when you talk about the fact that I was, I had COVID for three weeks and I, as you said, I was in my apartment still managing to lead uh, with my team. Um, it's about self being kind to yourself because at the end of the day, I had to recover, but also I needed to make sure that I had the energy to do these meetings as well. Confined to one space is never easy for anyone, especially like somebody like me. Uh, <laughs> and I was able to do that because there was a purpose. I, I genuinely believe uh, they brought me energy. They, 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 they know that because I tell them often. But, but somebody in New York, Martin, or somebody in London or somebody in Dublin leading a team over Zoom is difficult enough. But that's if it's in English and in, the, let's say, their native uh, tongue. But you were in Mumbai. Yeah. You couldn't speak their native tongue. And you're doing this via Zoom. So how do you manage that in that remote working world? So, so English is widely spoken, first of all. So English was okay, but you're right. It needed to be subtitled. It needed to be changed into the vernacular language. Um, there was kind of five big buckets of vernacular language that we spoke about within our regions. So we were able to translate it. Um, I would do uh, uh, voice messages. I would do video messages. Uh, there was a constant, um, back to my point around consistency, back to my point around humility and empathy, um, back to my point around agility, we had to change. And what happened is we got some really fast, quick wins that were big uh, uh, problems to solve. The biggest one, which is a global thing, is moving from bricks and mortar retailing onto online because people couldn't move, didn't want to move and wanted you to deliver at home. So we all had to put our efforts into um, um, uh, a digital first a strategy that wasn't uh, the case at the time, um, a, a digital platform that we didn't have, uh, the ability to scale with our great partners in StarQuick, which is our online um, uh, uh, partner. Uh, and we had to do that within six weeks. To do that gave us an already big boost. And for that big boost, we then started to communicate. We're now fully digital. We're now online. We're click and collect. Uh, literally anywhere, anytime, uh, shop with Star. That branding came across very well. I am extremely blessed uh, to have the Tata brand in India, which is the largest conglomerate in the whole of India. It is a huge uh, history uh, of India and its DNA. Um, so that brings trust automatically. So I was able to use those quick wins, that, that speed to agility, um, to actually then get behind the team, get them motivated to think that, okay, hold on a second. We're all right, we're calm, we've hit recovery. 
Okay, we're in recovery. We then need to hit resilience and then it's adaptation at the end of it. And I would say probably in March of last year to probably May, it was recovery. Back to the supply chain, back to the direct source and back to the online uh, demand. We needed to do that within a short period of time. But we then leveled out quite quickly. Normalcy in food retail went quite quickly. And then it was about resurgence and that resilience. What else can we do to grow? How else can we be better? Uh, And actually the magnifying glass was probably the best thing that a new leader could have had, not the COVID situation, please don't get me wrong, but certainly the magnifying glass, because then we were able to be more robust. So we're stronger today than we were 18 months ago. And that is due to a huge amount of effort, a huge amount of trust. I mean, a culture and a dynamism, and we talk about agility and the importance of agility. Um, That trust factor had to be there. And they all got behind me. They all got behind my leadership team. And we all just literally, we knew we, we knew what we wanted to do. We knew how to do it. Actually, we even knew the problems we needed to solve. And we're still solving problems because we're probably in that cycle of recovery, take the box, but actually in Mumbai and in India, we're now going into wave two, which in Western Europe, you've already kind of coming out of along with the vaccines as well, but we're going into wave two. So that brings a, another added stress as well. So from, from my side, to be stronger at the uh, middle part of where we are just now, to talk about recovery into resilience and then adaptation at the end of it. That's probably the life cycle. I would would say your question was anybody in in, in, uh, New York speaking to the teams, be uh, show agility, show strength, um, show clear communication and consistent communication. And also bring the fact that you need to you need to have empathy because empathy the basis of empathy is listening, and that's probably a skill set I thought I was good at, but by word I'm even I'm, I'm even better than I was before. Why? Because it's not just listening to our new customer and what they want, our colleagues and the stresses and the, uh, the, what they're going through as as a human being. Never mind your own your own colleague, but also I had the added stress of obviously Lindsay and the boys being here in Dublin. And obviously still having to help them with homework, still having to make sure Lindsay is okay. Did you do any homeschooling from Mumbai? From Mumbai, absolutely. Talking, yeah. was there, any there was, yeah. So <laughs> Lindsay and I have got uh, uh, strengths when it comes to education. I love math. So it's probably the logical head and the problem solving. So I would be the math teacher when uh, Finley and Oliver need support. Obviously, Riley's too young. Um, so yeah, we would, uh, English would be Lindsay's uh, forte or, or passion in particular. So yeah, we would we would definitely share the duties there. But I had to do that from seven and a half thousand kilometers away. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating for me. Yeah. As you know, when you've heard some of the last Rise Higher podcasts, we speak about that concept of Sesame Street simple, energy and well-being. How important is the leaders in a crisis? It is one of the most important thing. It's also one of the most powerful thing because at the end of the day, um, you're faced in a crisis automatically with uh, uh, trouble, with trauma, with um, uh, solutions you don't have today. So panic to a certain degree as well, because COVID, nobody planned COVID, okay? Nobody understood the, uh, the impact of it. And even though India was uh, maybe a few months after the likes of Ireland and the UK, it still was a surprise. And even today with a wave two, a wave three, a wave four, whatever way we're going at the moment, that, that continual learning. So you as a business leader uh, have to look after your body, your mind, your spirit, and your emotions. But I, one of the things that I will advise massively to anyone that's listened just now, although those things are within your own body and your own mind, it's also about the energy of connections. 
Let it be your mentor. Let it be your go-to person because you're, you're in trouble. Let it be your family members. Let it be your peer groups. Let it be your, uh, your team. Because at the end of the day, you're not always going to have the solutions. Please bear that in mind. People make mistakes. People feel you got you got you got you got to learn very quickly of course and you got to feel also very quickly but in terms of energy management it is the most powerful thing uh, to get you through a crisis because ultimately that is the definition of uh, uh, both uh, uh, energy as well as uh, well uh, wellness don't underestimate the importance of you because once you are looked after, once you focus on yourself, you can also focus on others. And I think it was mentioned in one of the other podcasts, when you're obviously going down in an airplane, touch wood, hopefully not the case. Um, obviously, you need to put the mask on first before you help others. It is the exact same principle. Love it. Love you have to. What's the best advice you ever got? Um, the best advice I ever got was, yeah, invest in yourself because you can invest in others. And I would have been 30 at that point in time. We had met, it wasn't you, and I'm afraid, but we had met. Um, uh, and uh, it was a, uh, a workshop that I was doing uh, at the time. And it was about growth mindset. It was about, uh, it was about energy management even back then as well. Um, and it was the airplane example that was given to me about uh, look after yourself first and then you can look after others. I have, as you can already tell, I'm quite passionate. I wear the heart on the sleeve. I am the shoulder to shoulder in the trenches when we need to, but I'm also an elevator in terms of getting to the bigger. Uh, that's my role now. Um, so that learning is there again, learning and unlearning. Um, but I would say how I approach the day, it always starts with me. And that's not a selfish thing. Actually, I know post that, it's a lot of energy that comes from me, goes out. Uh, and that can be also a negative thing. And as a young leader, I probably would have been a weakness of mine where actually I'm being drained and everybody else is getting uh, all the energy. And that actually doesn't help you in terms of longevity. It doesn't help you about in terms of high performance. Uh, and actually, you can see yourself dropping as everybody else is elevated. So how do you make sure that you and I start with always being kind to myself? I still, even this morning before coming here, I done my hit training, even though there is no gym open here. So it was in the garden, uh, freezing as well. <laughs> I mean, not quite like Mumbai where it's 31 degrees at the moment. Um, uh, and, and I do that, I do a walk, uh, I then meditate and, and, and then I would come to work, for example, even in the evening times around clean uh, sleep. Uh, again, that's a new uh, skill set of mine. Digital's gone after nine o'clock. I put on my, uh, my phone in silent uh, uh, between 10 o'clock and 7 a.m. Any urgent people can phone me because you can set your phone up accordingly, um, even down to drinking water before I go to bed, um, getting prepped and what tomorrow's all about. And I then naturally find that routine because what, what your, your energy management and your wellness is about daily decisions mm -hmm. and daily tasks. It really is about it is consistency. And that is not an easy thing to do. And you and I have spent, I train well. I don't eat that well, although I eat much better now. And obviously, my recovery was always good, but not good enough. It's actually about those three being excellent at all times, because without that, you haven't got the engine room. You haven't got that extra mile. So we're going to move into the final few questions. Uh, what's the best advice you wish you had got earlier in your life, if I can ask you that? Uh, two things. And two things I've adapted late. 
Um, but again, uh, even old dogs can learn new tricks is probably the best way I've said it. Uh, and the first one probably is manage your energy, not your time. But I've kind of already said that. So even though I've got a good routine about being kind to myself in the morning with my training and my walking and my meditation and my uh, being kind to myself at the end of the evening. And that, by the way, with the family, etc., will be together as well. But when, when I'm in Mumbai on my own, it's, a, it's about being kind to myself. And then the in-between times, I, it's not about the time ticking. It's about the efficiencies, the impact that you have during the day with the team that you have. Because if you're on Teams or you're on Zoom or you're remote working or you're physically uh, together, you need to give that person enough clarity, enough alignment, enough why in terms of the buy-in. And you need to then get set them off and away you go, especially the higher you go up. It's about spinning plates just as much about inspiring people. And you need to be on your game. So I actually, that was the first thing um, uh, in my more mature uh, leadership style. That's probably the first thing I would say. I wish somebody had told me that. And then probably what I didn't do, and it was because of you, uh, Mr. McNulty, is that yoga. Um, I should have done yoga. And actually, I'm getting the boys into yoga as we speak. But I should have done yoga when I was younger. I was I was uh, good at sports. I enjoyed my sports. It's still my passion today. Uh, I still play sports. I love watching rugby, as you already know, that Lulster supporter. Uh, and and I, I would say I wish I had that discipline at a younger age because I actually think that my physical fitness and my mindset, so my emotional fitness, would be probably even at the next level. Now, I've came in late to it, and I'm learning uh, hugely. And if you think about India, it's the birthplace of yoga. It's the birthplace of uh, alternative medicine. It's the birthplace of meditation. So actually, I'm learning from the best, if you want to think of it that way. So from that side, I would say those two things is manage my energy, not the time. And the second thing is adopt mindfulness at a year, an early age. That discipline will give you so much more energy that as a young man could have done more, you can always do more. Wow. And finally, what advice have you got for leaders that are listening all around the world? If you were to say to them, maybe in less than 60 seconds, the advice you would have for them to rise higher, what would it be? Uh, for me, uh, and I, I think you probably got it list in today's conversation, I hope, um, be able to have the ability to learn and unlearn. It makes you more mature in your decision-making. It makes you more mature as a, a leader and gives you confidence in your emotional uh, mindset just as much as your physical. So that growth mindset is important. Stick to your purpose. I said earlier on, what is your purpose? It's your gifts. It's your passion. It's your values. It's that North Star that is referred to quite a lot. Um, stick to your purpose. Remind yourself of the purpose. I still have our journal from 2013. And now it's been refined since then, but that's because our conversation published that journal. And make oh, <laughs> I don't know about that, but it's it's honestly it's 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 nearly uh, my reset. It is nearly my energy. So stick to your purpose and remind yourself of your purpose, because if you go too far off off field, then it's a, very difficult to get back again. Be kind to yourself. Really be kind to yourself. I, I do sincerely mean that if you're able to clap yourself when you're alone you're doing better than most people. Because at the end of the day, especially as a, a CEO, it is quite lonely up there, uh, especially as some leaders that are remote. It's also lonely there. So you need to do these the hard grind. You still need to have that great routine of your energy management, your wellness, um, because that will set you in good sight. So be kind to yourself. And then the last one, which you've heard the whole way through, is stay connected to your mentor, your family, your peer groups, your uh, friends, your network, because collaboration is what is going to get us through this crisis, regardless of its brand collaboration, 
colleague collaboration, family collaboration, because again, all our families are spread around the world. The end of the day, we'll do it together. Wow, Martin, Billy, that has been a joy. Your passion, your energy, your humility and authenticity are an inspiration from Donahadi to Mumbai. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Rise podcast series, helping you to develop your strength, leadership and resilience in these remarkable times. Rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Andy McNulty. Thank you for listening.